Welcome to Spine and Body Podcast. This podcast's stated goals are to change how the world treats musculoskeletal pain, to create experts in the treatment of neck, back, and shoulder pain, and to advance the world's understanding of this pain, to inspire researchers, thinkers, and innovators, to empower patients and embolden caretakers. Follow us on this journey and let's learn and grow together. This podcast is brought to you by the Body Guitar Clinic because your body is a finely tuned instrument. Like all finely tuned instruments, it must be properly cared for in order to play the beautiful music it was intended to play. Care for your body and use it correctly, and it will play music that is unique to you, your life song. This is Sean Wheeler, MD, and let's get your body in tune. Welcome back to Spine and Body Podcast. This is a uh, special holiday edition, and it is the end of season one. Season one's been pretty incredible. I'm, I've been overwhelmed with the number of people that have uh, tuned in. Uh, we have a large following in California and overseas, um, almost every single state. Uh, I've been really, really pleased with the response and, and the reaction. Uh, we've had several physicians from around the country come uh, to our clinic and hang out. And I think, I think that we're starting to get kind of this understanding that we we're looking for changes as far as uh, back pain goes. Next, uh, we would like to have fellows and residents come and spend a couple weeks or even a month, a month with us and kind of figure out what we're about. We are, um, you know, we're always looking for physicians to join our team, but we're also looking to change the way everybody does things. So having new physicians uh, come and, and spend time and kind of understand uh, that there's a different way of of treating pain and a, and a culture of taking care of people that perhaps they don't have uh, in the place that they're being trained uh, would be wonderful. Uh, we want to we want to help make that change, but then also grow our team with with people who we uh, think would fit well with our team. So um, that that goes out. Um, we're actively recruiting people. So. Uh, reach out to us. Also, uh, this today's episode is a is a question from uh, Luke Wilson in Arkansas who asked a fabulous question, and 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 I got together with a, a physical therapist that we work with and had on a previous show, uh, Shelley Lewis, to kind of go over, you know, the questions that he has, and and I really encourage that. I really want people to reach out uh, next season, which isn't going to start for a couple months, um, and and part of that is because. We want to get ahead, right? We want to get ten to twenty shows uh, in the can, so to speak, so that so that we can we can be ahead and worry free, uh, create the show uh, going forward throughout the year. And and part of that was because my team uh, was under tremendous stress as we would we'd get down to just a couple days before the show was supposed to come out, and we still hadn't completed it. And and I didn't think that was fair in a in a busy medical practice. So we're going to try to change that. So season two is going to take a few months uh, to get started. I am going to do uh, several shows about neck and shoulder pain, which will be just me. Uh, and then I have some guests lined up that I think we'll you'll find interesting that aren't just neck and shoulder. And in fact, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for more neck, shoulder, and back pain guests. And I also am looking for people who are experts at physical exam, because I know how I do physical exam, but 
promoting this idea of improved physical exam is what we're about. As improved physical exam leads to an improved care and, and treatment of the back. So um, if you have anyone to suggest, please also do that. You can reach me at, uh, at Dr. Sean Wheeler, D-R-S-E-A-N Wheeler uh, on Twitter or uh, Wheeler at bodyguitar.com. Speaking of body guitar, um, you know, we, uh, it, when we get into the new season, we will uh, come up with some merchandise. We've got some t-shirts, we've got some uh, spine and body uh, podcast hats and, and the like. Uh, we also have some uh, fabulous uh, posters that we made with the last uh, book, and even, even the book is is for sale. So uh, while those things aren't on the website yet, they will be coming. Keep keep checking back. As I said, I'm I'm just I'm just really pleased with how this show has gone so far, and and the impact that it is having. And I want it to have more of an impact. And creating that impact means it's got to be a national a national show. And I've attempted to get national guests. When when I find people that I know that I want to interview, I'm going to do so. Uh, but it takes suggestions and recommendations from people nationally and worldwide to create that worldwide motion. It can't just be in this area. And it can't just be sports medicine physicians, which is what I've spent a lot of time with. So please make suggestions. Please Continue to uh, listen and and subscribe so that you know when the season two starts. Um, this really is a, a labor of love, and it's a it's a passion of mine. Um, I really, I mean, if it hasn't come through, I really want to change the way everyone treats back pain and neck and shoulder pain too. So, okay, uh, without without anything further, I don't want to bore you too much here with my. Uh, with my passions, but, um, th this episode is enjoyable. It's, it's a little rough in the fact that, uh, we didn't really, we didn't really, um, you know, write it all out and really prepare. What we did is we just answered questions. So, uh, enjoy. Today is an AMA, which is an ask me anything. And, uh, we've re received a question from, uh, Lucas Wilson down in, um, Arkansas. And I was very appreciative of the fact that he, that he gave a question because, um, you know, it, it's a good way to kind of decide where people want to go with, uh, you know, with, with the topics that we have. And his question was, he's in his mid to late 20s and he's trying to prevent back pain. And um, uh, Shelly Lewis is here with me today from ESPT and College Park Physical Therapy. And uh, we were having, you know, quite a discussion about this. And we decided to break this into, into two different uh, sections of the talk. And the first one is uh, markers of current problems, right? And then the second one is care and maintenance of 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 your back or your body, really. So I'm going to explain that kind of as we go. First of all, how are you, Shelly? I'm great. How are you? Good. Good. Kind of a busy day, right? Yes. <laughs> Tis the season, right? We are, we are getting close to Christmas, right? We've decided to put this out as a uh, New Year's Eve uh, thing, which is a great, a great opportunity for people to kind of take care of their back or look for things. A lot of people are motivated to take care of what they have uh, right around New Year's, uh, and and uh, hopefully we can use this as a good uh, jumping off point. What this is today is it's it's a lot of of each of us giving our own opinions about each of these things. I mean, a lot of times we'll overlap, sometimes we won't. It's not this is not a 
who's who's right or who's wrong. It's a it's a perspective of a physician and a perspective of a physical therapist, and and there's a lot that we agree on. But um, you know, we'll kind of kind of move along. Okay, so as far as markers of current problems, really, really, what happens is when you're young, you have uh, motion or or the way you move, for example, the way you do things that you may not even realize are a problem, and it's not at your age. However, once you get into your 40s, 50s, and et cetera, all the way up to you know 100 and whatever, you will develop problems based on things that we see in the way that you move when you're young. And we're going to kind of go through each of those. Um, and Or at least, the you know, we're not going to get through everything. Somebody's going to look at this and go, oh, yeah, you missed this. Well, we're going to go over the things that jump out of this because this isn't supposed to be an hour-long hour long podcast. So um, I'm going to start with flexibility. You know, a lot of times I'll see people who, um, you know, the hamstrings are tight or they go down into a squat and the heels don't touch the ground or uh, the, way they, the way they position themselves with their neck, uh, forward, et cetera. And a lot of times uh, we'll see areas where they are tight and they'll say, I'm just tight. And and this is one of the things we hear too is people say, especially when their hamstrings are tight, they'll say, I'm just out of shape. And I almost, I mean, I I, I kind of cringe when they do that. I think to myself, you're not out of shape. You're you're not stable like we would want, right? Um, and And I often point to them, I'll say, you know, if you have areas that are constantly tight, like you go and stretch those and then you quit stretching and it gets back to being tight, there's more going on than than what you're thinking as far as that stability as far as the way that your body is stabilized. And, and, um, and, you know, we see that a lot. Wouldn't you agree, Shelly? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's oftentimes where a person will say, um, yeah, I worked really hard on this and it got flexible and then I quit doing it and it went right back. So, um, you know, we've talked about hamstring stability several times throughout the podcast and how it's a sign that perhaps the the pelvis isn't sitting correctly, that your alignment's off, that your body's trying to do these, you know, position you in different places. But, you know, the heel cord flexibility, uh, which is your ankle flexibility. I mean, if you try to do a squat and you squat all the way down and your heels don't touch the ground, that's a sign that you're, you're not getting enough motion through the, through the ankles. Um, and that's a great sign. You know, that's as far as that being one of the signs, you know, a person will squat uh, all the way down. And their ankles don't touch or their heels don't touch the ground. And that's a sign for us, especially as a person moves forward. They say, well, I worked really hard to get to the point where my heels could touch the ground. And then as the years went by, I couldn't. And we go, you know what? You should reflect back on where you were when you were able to get that. And it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good marker as far as, you know, aging, I suppose. Yes. And it's a common problem in younger people. Mm -hmm. It's, it's if they have limited ankle motion, it absolutely affects their ability to squat. And then, you know, I would also add to that when you're doing this motion of a squat, in addition to ankle flexibility and its limitations, what's the trunk doing? What, what's happening ab above that? Mm -hmm. Either in response to the limited ankle mobility or in addition to the limited ankle mobility. And there's all kinds of things a squat will tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so just for just for uh, flexibility, uh, before we move on to that, because I, I think that's incredibly important. But, um, uh, you know, with, with the flexibility, truly, it is kind of one of those deals where I, I think too many people see motion 
and say, I just don't move that way. Now, there are instances like that. You know, I mean, uh, my daughter Ellie cannot rotate her hand all the way into a, and, and we call it a supination position, but like a, a, with a palm all the way up, she can't rotate it. That's not a muscle tightness issue. It's just she can't do it. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, there's some people that can that can reach so far behind their behind their back that, you know, I mean, I don't think that's a flexibility thing. I think that's a joint thing. So you have to differentiate the two. But I, I do think that as a person ages, they start finding areas where they're tight and they have to ask themselves, okay, is this a sign of, of, of a problem or is this just the way I'm built? And, and I think that that's a valid question as a, as a person you know, in their mid-20s starts to evaluate how they move. Okay. So next... Uh, let's talk about let's talk about squat. You and I have had long discussions about this, right? Single and single and double leg squats. And I've heard you say once before that every step is a single leg squat. And and uh, I, I think that that's incredibly valuable because of what it tells us if we're you know if we have issues with both squat and double leg squat. Right, a single leg mini squat, just a tiny little single leg mini squat is when you're walking or running. That's essentially what it is over and over over and over right so what kind of, what kind of issues do you see with people who are with single leg squat or double leg squat we usually assess both in, in you know in the pt world we're looking at both and they tell us sometimes the same thing sometimes different things and you know what someone can do well with two legs and then you put them on a single leg and it looks completely different mm -hmm. that ind indicative of various compensatory Right. Patterns that they've developed based on wherever their weakness or tightness or lack of flexibility mm -hmm. happens to be. Right. So give an example. We're looking for the fluidity of the motion, the symmetry of the motion, uh, what the person's alignment is throughout the motion, and what they might be doing to stabilize themselves throughout the motion or not doing to stabilize themselves throughout the motion. That's really what we're assessing mm -hmm. with a double leg squat. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of times we'll see people who, you know, they have one leg that they really lock into a, into what we call an external rotated position where they, they push that knee out. And a lot of times what we think is, is that they're not the muscle, the deep glute muscles that are supposed to keep their leg from from collapsing in is not strong enough, so they're locking themselves into this outward position. Um, you know, we'll see people who you know, bend forward way too far. Uh, sometimes that has again to do with ankle ankle mobility or, or or tightness in certain areas, especially with double leg squat. You know, I mean, that's kind of what we see, right? Too far back or not enough back on their heels, right? Or too far back on their heels. Uh, which muscle fires first? You know, I mean, there's a there's a complicated a complicated uh, sequence of motion that we expect to find. But for a person who is who's not necessarily in that case, I mean, or, or you know, the, the level that a physical therapist would be at, if they're just squatting down and they can't keep their like they have to turn their feet way out to accomplish it, one side versus the other, or you know, like we say, bending forward really far. Any other any other ones where you'd be like, yeah, you, this is something you really ought to be you know, spending more time trying to decipher uh, just for the average lay person? You know, I believe everybody has a range in which they perform or move best. There's not one static alignment or position that, that any of us only operate out of. We, there's a range that you can work out of um, and move out of 
within that range effectively, efficiently, and in a healthy movement pattern. Mm -hmm. What we would be looking for are outliers to to kind of a a good baseline range of motion that they should be working within, whether that be flattening, are they tucking their bum and really flattening their lumbar spine prior to the motion to create stability? Are they rolling to the outside of their feet and not distributing the weight um, equally between both feet and right to left and front to back, as you alluded to earlier, you alluded to knees and hips are, you know, is, are they getting a lot of torsion of the femur is, are they collapsing at the knee? Are they able to maintain control throughout the entire motion, whether it's their trunk, their hips, their knees, ankles, even head, you know, what are they doing with their head and neck while they're squatting? Right. Um, so you're looking really at the big picture and how it all relates to each other top to bottom along the chain. Sure. And, you know, we've seen this before, you know, where we'll see people who are squatting and when we're like, wow, you know, that leg dips in or they bend forward. And then all of a sudden someone will come in and man, they squat down so far and it looks like there's nothing, you know, there's nothing holding them together. They're just so flexible. And you're like, oh my gosh, you are so the motion, the motion that you have is so flexible that I almost feel like you've got a problem, right? And we will see that. You and I have talked before about, you know, the people who are showing off at yoga class probably ought to not be doing yoga. I mean, those are the ones who should be working way more on their on their strength than they are on their flexibility, right? So, you know, we push people like that towards towards um, Pilates because we're like, or if they're going to do yoga, we say, listen, just do the poses, right? It, it, there is a there's a certain amount of tightness, of muscle tightness, fascia tightness, joint capsule tightness that the body needs to stabilize itself. And when you've got some people that are just so flexible in all of those areas, their joints break down earlier, right? They're, if you have stability and flexibility, it's wonderful. If you, have if you have no stability and extraordinary flexibility, things break down. So there's the, uh, the opposite of what we just said is also true person who's incredibly flexible and incredibly mobile, it is even more important that they work on, you know, areas of stability, which is, which is in those cases I have found that is not something you can self-regulate. It is one of those deals where you have to get yourselves in the hands of a, of a professional where these people are so hyper flexible. And we say, yeah, all the things that we're going to talk about, you may not find, you may just say, look, I'm hyper flexible. And because of that, I I work with a professional to make sure that I'm stable. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, and more yes. Okay, good. Okay, so uh, I find the same thing with people who begin to exercise and hurt in the same places. And, and what we find with that is, is they'll say, I have injuries in these places every time I work out. And I'll say, you're revealing an area that may not be weak when you begin to work out, but it is either fatigued or it's becoming obvious as you work out, right? You guys see that all the time, don't you? Yes. And, you know, I think it's important for people, and we teach this to our patients, um, to learn to differentiate between good pain and bad pain. And so if you're talking about post-workout issues, I believe there can be a very normal level of post-workout soreness that your, your body experiences um, after you change up a workout, have an exceptionally difficult workout, what have you, but there would be a reasonable period of time that you should recover from that and not continue to have that workout soreness from what you did yesterday. 
And then there's things that would maybe be referred to as aches and pains. And then there's injury. And I think for the group we're targeting today is learning to differentiate between what's what's normal workout soreness and what's an ache and pain that's probably indicative of something going on or another issue that I want to really pay attention to and maybe figure out what that's related to before it becomes an injury. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and I jumped around, there was something I skipped. You, you've told me before that I jump around, but, uh, you know, it's what I do. We call it ping ponging. That's right. I <laughs> ping pong around. Right. So I wanted to get back to single leg squat Okay. because you and I both think that that's incredibly important. I mean, you've, you've kind of, you know, pushed me in that direction several times and, and, uh, single leg squat, uh, when we started doing motion evaluation, we found that double leg squat was was helpful, but it was really only helpful in the people who, um, you know, had a real issue. We didn't it, things didn't show up until we started doing single leg squat, and then and then it, it, things really showed up, and and it was surprising to me because we had a professional soccer player in here who had an ACL injury and repair on his right leg, and his single leg squat on the left leg was abnormal. And he was just, he couldn't believe it. And we were like, yeah, you need to get these things right. And it was, and it was, it was, it was out of, I mean, he just, it, it, he was like, but I'm so strong. And we were like, yeah, well, you, you've set yourself up for injury on the other leg based on what we see on motion. But it's, it's even more so as a person ages, I think, because what happens is, is that all this compensation, when they can't do a single leg squat, as we just said, they're doing many single leg squats throughout their day all the time. So what are the kind of the, some of the things that you look for with single leg squat, even though we already kind of mentioned them with double? I mean, it just kind of accentuated in single. Sure. Simply balance. You know, I had a patient I evaluated yesterday and it took her four attempts. It was the fourth attempt before she could actually successfully even initiate a single leg squat. How so? You mean she was... You asked her to start start doing a single leg squat, and she just sat there going, wait, I can't? I had her do double leg squat. Uh-huh. I watched that from different angles. And then I had her do a single leg squat on her right, and she did that. It, it wasn't good, but she did it. And when she went to do the single leg squat on the left, she didn't have the motor neuromuscular capacity to lift that right leg off the floor comfortably enough and transfer the weight to the left lower extremity to then even begin to do a squat. So she just was losing her balance or she just couldn't even get her foot off the ground. She just didn't know how to do it. Wow. And when you watched her walk, she had a very abnormal gait pattern, limited hip flexion, knee flexion, limited ankle motion. I think she's like four or five degrees of dorsiflexion with 90 degrees of knee flexion. And that's probably more than you want to go in here, sure, but sure. she, but she was, she's not picking her feet up and, you know, there's a gait cycle where there's a, you swing your leg through and there's things that are happening from the lumbar spine all the way down to your big toe mm-hmm. when you're well, from the top of your head to your big toe actually. Right, right. But she just, her gait was indicative that she wasn't picking her feet up. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't spend a lot of time on that equal amount of time on that left leg because she doesn't trust it for some reason in not, a, she wasn't aware of it. She was surprised that she couldn't do it. Right. But when we asked her to do it, she didn't, wasn't even aware that, that that was something that she didn't feel comfortable doing. Right. And you know, don't you find that all the time where a person will say, I didn't even know I had a problem. 
right? I did not know until you started putting me through these different things. And I had no idea. And that's, and I think the biggest one we see is that is the single leg squat. And when she says dorsiflexion, what she means is, is, you know, the, the, the front of the book, the uh, front of the foot has to come off, has to come up compared to the heel when you're walking or running or anything. And I test, I test strength in, in, basically a nerve root that involves that all the time. And I'll ask people to pick their toes up and leave their heel on the ground. And it's amazing how, how many people do not have great motion through there, not in their twenties and thirties, but, but still, I mean, it, it happens over time and people don't even realize it's happening. So a good way to see that is when you do a single leg squat, if you don't have motion in that area at all, you can't go down very far without bending forward significantly. A lot right? of trunk flexion. A lot of, a lot of, that's right. A lot of bending forward. So the first thing is, is as, as you just mentioned was balance, right? So you have to have balance to be able to stand on one foot and we'll see that. We'll see that a ton. You have to have that where you can actually shift weight from one leg to the other without that leg, um, you know, dipping way in or dipping way out. Right. And then we have to have the strength and that, and that includes the strength, right? So the strength in your buttocks that keeps that leg from moving in and out. Right. So, okay. So you're, you don't want like one shoulder to dip. You want the shoulders to stay level. You want the hips to stay relatively level, even as they move through the excursion of motion of a, of a mini squat down and, and back up. And can they do it with control or are they losing balance or are they using their arms flailing all over to try to mm -hmm. maintain balance or... Is their trunk leaning significantly to one side or the other? Are they rotating their trunk to one side or the other? All those, you're looking at all that while they're standing on that one foot. And you look from the front and you look from the side because what's their spine doing? A lot of people, like you said, with the tight ankles or the lack of ankle joint mobility, they think they're squatting, but they're really just flexing forward with using their trunk. They're not bending at the hip and Knee, right. And ankle. Right. And you know, we see this every day when we're trying to put our pants on or or shoes on standing, right? And and it is amazing how many things show up in this single leg squat, right? Like you say, balance. If we lean one side or the other, it it easily could be not only weakness, but also muscle tightness through right, through and around the core. We mentioned the glutes. Um, we mentioned, you know, uh different joints that hurt right? That you don't even realize that hurt. But what I find truly in the young person is, is that they'll have one side or another that they just, they'll say, well, I sit down to put my pants on. And we're like, what? You're, you're 20 something. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, not that you shouldn't, right? But, but it is, it is amazing how, how many things will show up with that single leg squat. Okay. So uh, let's say, for example, a person decides they want to monitor that. Uh, do you, would you recommend like, you know, just even a little video of yourself doing it? Cause that's kind of what I tell people when they're 20 is I'll say, you know, if you're, if you're that interested, you know, just do a little video of yourself doing a single leg squat at age 25, again, at 20, you know, every year, maybe even January 1st, you do a video of yourself doing a single leg squat on each leg. And then you've got something at that age where you can kind of follow year after year after year after year, because I'd love to be able to single leg squat the way I did when I was 25. Absolutely. And, and have a friend or loved one um, that you trust. Ideally, you have on something that's not that, that shows your body. So like a tank top and a pair of shorts or something of that nature, a huge baggy sweatshirt and huge baggy sweats. It's going to be hard to see what's actually happening. 
and then have someone video you do two or three reps from the front, two or three reps from the side, and two or three reps from the back because you can pick up different things when you look look at it from different angles. And yeah, that'd be a great way to have a, a record and a comparison and, and see the difference right to left and pick up things from one angle that you may not have picked up on the other angle and then, you know, understand what you may need to work on. And, you know, uh, there's going to be people that are extraordinarily strong with this and they're going to say, I've never, I never noticed any difference at all. So then the next step up for that, at least for us would be, you know, stand up on a, stand up on a, a chair and then uh, single leg squat all the way to the floor, but try to make it last like five seconds. Try to make it this very long step to the floor. And I don't mean the first four seconds with both legs straight and then the last second go down. I mean, once, let's say you're doing it with your right leg, once that left foot passes the level of the of the chair, the, the seat of the chair, then you got five more seconds before before your foot hits the ground. And then beyond that, you know, a person could even do like a pistol squat if they can do a pistol squat and start, you know, videotape that. And and maybe that's your goal is to do a pistol squat till you're in your 70s, which would be amazing, by the way. <laughs> Although I do think you have a kid that could probably do that in your family. Currently, <laughs> but they haven't hit the, the 50, 60, 70 year old age. That's right. Yet, so, so maybe do a video of those, you know, because because you can up it. Right. You can you can increase the the the, the uh, difficulty of the exercise. Right. Get an Olympic score that's higher, perhaps. Right. Uh, OK, so um, single leg squat, we think, is really important. We talked a little bit about gait uh, previously, and I thought it was a, a really good thing you mentioned about people uh, on treadmill where you could tell that they were, um, you know, there was a problem just from treadmill. Yeah. You just listen. You don't even really need to watch sometimes just hear, you know, is is every time a certain foot dragging because it kind of screeches, makes it like a little draggy screech motion on the treadmill tread. Um, you can listen to is, are they cement, are they landing loudly or are they landing, you know, quiet and controlled again? It's a, it's a, is it a controlled motion back to the ankle? If you can't pull your toes up into dorsiflexion, then you're probably not pushing off on your toe and you're probably landing really flat footed. And that's a heavier, less biomechanically optimized landing. Right. And eventually will take its toll on hips, knees. That's right. Back, neck. That's right. Um, so just listening to someone on the treadmill on, are they dragging a foot or are they hitting really heavy on one side or both sides? And that, kind of gives you a jumping off point as far as what may be going on. Very good. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, uh, something that it really is a great marker. If you've, if you've got a, a, an abnormality with the way you walk and, and there is a way to pick up on that and the treadmill, like, like we say, is a good way to tell if you, if you listen to the rhythm of the, of the, of yourself running and you're like, wow, that's a little off, there's something wrong. And it may be incredibly subtle and you may not even notice it until you're miles into what you're going to do. And then you start noticing it. And that's a sign too. It's a, it's a, it's a early warning of something later on, because what we don't want is this machine that we're, we're dealing with having, you know, a, a rumble or a, or an abnormality as it goes, uh, because things are going to wear down. Uh, and we'll see that with shoe wear too, right? We mentioned this before is, is that a person starts getting, you know, wear on either shoe, 
But if they, especially if they see it on one shoe where there's, if you look at the bottom of a shoe that you've been wearing for six, eight months, and then they're wearing abnormality, there's a problem with the way they're wearing, or one shoe wears different than the other, it's a really good sign that you got something you got to fix. And, and do not ignore that. Absolutely. You know, there's, a, if, especially if they're wearing differently, you know, if the right is significantly different than the left, what's, what's happening with your gait pattern that is creating that imbalance or that asymmetry? That's right. So the other thing with shoes is that, is that when we started getting shoes with, um, you know, more cushion, we started landing harder. And, and one of the things, one of the ways people made up for that is creating more of a heel is they said, okay, well, if I'm going to land harder, I'm going to, I'm going to, and I land harder. It transmits to ankle, knee, hip, back, as you said, right? Well, some of that comes from our shoes. So we got these, these shoes that cushion us really well. We start having, you know, more of a heel strike. One of the ways we make up for the fact that, that, that we don't have mobility through the ankle and, and the calf is we start adding more of a heel. And all of it leads to significant problems farther up in the body, right? This, this lever, as far as an ankle, ankle is supposed to dissipate, not only the arch dissipate energy as we walk, but also the, the, the uh, ankle itself. And when we're landing on the heel, we've taken away a major step as far as that goes. And you'll hear, I mean, if you've ever lived in a, you know, an apartment, you can hear the people above you. You can tell when somebody's heel striking. Absolutely. You can tell it in your own house when your it's exactly. kids are walking upstairs on, yeah. in the hallway. You can hear it yourself. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and one of the things that I've told people is, is that if you, when you go barefoot, you will find yourself uh, doing less and less heel strike. I, I think that young people ought to have at least one pair of a minimalist shoe, right? And it's not something that you wear when you have foot problems. When you got foot problems, you got to get that taken care of. But if your feet are fine, you should have at least a pair of minimalist shoes. And you ought to see how you land. Because if you're in the pattern of heel striking, you will know it in those shoes, right? And sometimes the heel starts to hurt. And eventually you start walking more on your foot. But I think that the way we land is an incredibly important long-term uh, treatment to keep yourself from having issues. I would agree with that. There you go. There you go. Okay. So um, one of the things that we see in sports medicine is, is that people will have injuries and then from those injuries, they will, they will develop weakness. They'll develop areas of instability. Okay. So, so what I mean by that is, is that, uh, or, or times of when they're sedentary, where they've just doing, you know, they've, they've spent a couple of weeks not being active at all. And then that leads to areas of instability. Okay. So a little explanation for those of you that haven't heard all of the, all of the podcasts. As a child develops, they will develop stability and then they will develop uh, coordination, right? So they move along through their life. They get more stable and then coordination, more stable, more, more coordinated, more stable, more coordinated. That, this, is the, this is the DNS, right? If you've ever heard of uh, uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, what they, what they really teach is, is that they try to take people who've been injured back to the point of like infantile reflexes and then work, work back up exactly the way, way, same, way, same way they developed. Well, we don't see that in the, in the you know, non-DNS world. What we see is when a person gets injured or has a time of instability and, or of, sedent, of sedentary motion, they will lose that stability, but they won't lose their coordination. And then a problem occurs. 
they start they start moving differently. They start having all these different problems uh, that that develop into more problems and can create back pain or or shoulder pain or neck pain or or any of these other problems. So what happens is is that when a person has an injury or they've had an extended period of time where they are you know not able to be active, they have to go back and look at these exact same things all over again, right? They have to look for the single leg squat or look for the, you know, the wear on the shoes and look for areas of tightness and weakness. And that's, and that's a, that is a uh, point of emphasis for, for people who get injured when they come to a professional. So I think that goes over all of the um, markers of current problems that I wanted to cover. So now I'm going to go through as far as care and maintenance of your body. And a lot of these are going to be kind of quick questions for you. Okay. Uh, and I will, and I'll let you kind of, I'll let you answer and then I'll, I'll do the reverse of what we just did. Okay. Um, okay. So what would you say are some daily stretches that a person should focus on as they go through, you know, probably the entirety of their life? As far as specific stretches, that's as variable as there are people. Right. But I do think rec- stretching enough that you're not overstretching, like we alluded to earlier, there's, there's a downside to overstretching. Um, but, but knowing your normal range, knowing your normal abilities and then maintaining that and just being aware if something all of a sudden you're, you can't cross your right ankle over your left knee when you're sitting in a chair, but it's no problem to do on the other side. And it wasn't a problem a year ago to recognize that and just figure out what's tight, what you need to just maintaining normal mobility through all your joints. Not, you know, I, I wouldn't say leave out anything. I mean, sure. your neck, upper back, middle, lower back, hips, sure, quads, calves, feet. Yeah. You know, I, I think just having kind of an all around mobility, stretching flexibility built into your fitness is, is a great idea without overstretching. Oh, sure. You know, and, and I do think that I think having a having a not just a nuanced idea of how much mob- mobility you have through ankle and hip and arms and neck, I think that there's sh- I think that there should be a an idea, a, a, a really good measured idea of this is how far I can move my ankle in each direction. This is how far I can move my hip joint in either direction. When I look over my shoulder, I can look this far with each direction. Like, for example, I have an issue with my right shoulder. The way I knew it, I couldn't look left as far as I could right. That was my very first sign of it. That's, you know, those those are certain things that I have to stretch. Um, you know, so uh, you you have uh, pushed before, basically saying, listen, as you get older, you really need mobility through your hips. Well, it's not just as we call external rotation of the hip, which is when you sit Indian style, but it's also twisting internal rotation, which is much like a golf swing, right? Where a person twists into the hip. I think we lose that internal rotation of the hip and a person starts having issues. Well, as we stretch, I think it's incredibly important as you age to say, this is how much flexibility I have in my ankle. And I've measured it. This is this is how far I can turn my, my hip in and out. And I've measured it. This is how far I can reach over my head without any issues and out to the side, you know, back behind me. These are the, these are the areas that I know I have. Uh, and then how far can I turn my neck? Right. So, so those kind of things, um, as far as, and I would agree with you as far as the stretch, I do think that a person figures out the areas that they need to be stay flexible. 
but it's hard to figure out as you age if you don't have an idea of what your flexibility was. Agreed. So I've said before, you know, and this is this is completely off topic, but I because I ping pong around. I've said that every 20-year-old male ought to know what their testosterone level is, right? Just because, you know, Richard Simmons and 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 LeBron James at age 20 did not have the same testosterone level. So you get to be you get to be 50 years old and you say you want to know what your testosterone level is. Well, what was it when you were 20, right? Are we trying to reproduce LeBron James's level or are we trying to reproduce, you know, Richard Simmons' level? It's the same thing with flexibility. It's the same thing with motion. So each of these things that we're talking about, realize that that we're saying figure out where you are so that you can know where you should be as you get older. And why not have an expectation, maybe not in testosterone, but why not have an expectation that you should be able to move the same way as you age? Okay. So here's another uh, difficult, right? Not easy question. Um, but I consider you one of the one of the experts on posture. So I'm going to ask you, what are the expectations of a of a 20 year old as far as their posture? I think recognizing what role posture plays in whatever it is you're doing throughout the day. If you're you have a desk job, what is posture role does posture play, and how do I monitor myself if I if I'm sitting a lot? If you drive a lot, how am I sitting in my car? If if you're standing for your job and you have an active job, what body mechanics and what posture and alignment am I moving through as I do my job or sport or whatever it is they're doing? I think it's being aware of it and knowing um, ideally where they should be. And if they can't get there, then seeking someone that can help them identify what the issues is and why why they can't get there. So I'll tell you... Um you know, as far as my perspective, but I almost, when I tell you this, uh, realize that a lot of this I've learned from Shelly. If your posture involves, when you say, I sit up straight and you find yourself on your heels, you got a problem, right? Your posture is not right. If you, um, if you find yourself in your midfoot, now we're talking, right? If you find yourself uh, breath holding, you get into the correct position and you feel like you're holding in a fart, you your posture is not right, or at least your your understanding of your posture is not right. Um, if you're, uh, like she said earlier, if you're tucking your bum, which means rotating your pelvis under you and, um, and not keeping a normal arch in your back, there's an issue with your posture. And those three things I think would solve a lot of posture issues with a 20, 20 something. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, knowing where you're, your ribs should be in relationship to your pelvis. It's, it's, we, you and I grew up with put the book on your head and walk up and down the hallway as a female that, you know, that's how you practice having good posture or the military posture. And we used to teach it, you know, lift your sternum up. Well, that all of a sudden put your ribs in not a so great position in relationship to your pelvis. And that isn't necessarily the best position to be in. It's quote, air quote, military posture, but it's, it's not the best. Like you said, what that tends to do is put people back on their heels. And we already discussed what all happens when right. most your weights um, shifted posteriorly to the back of your heels. Um, so understanding the basics, it's not just where your head is. You know, I, I think a lot of people worry about forward head because you, you you don't want to be that person. Mm -hmm. um, 
and think about where their shoulders are in relationship to their head. But oftentimes that in the past has led to probably more issues or different issues than what they initially started with. Right. And you know, that's the thing is, is that almost every posture device out there puts them into that position, puts them back on their heels. And, and it's so much more nuanced than that. And, and I think, I think over time we'll get an opportunity to discuss that, but I do like the idea of, of, um, where's the weight, where's your weight, right? Um, you know, is there a normal arch in your back and are you, are you breathing? And I think that's a, that's probably at their age, it's probably, you know, I mean, and, and you have mentioned several times, you know, thinking of the, of the, of the rib cage, like a bell and having that bell facing straight up and down rather than arched forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those points you just mentioned, the arch in the back, the rib cage and where's the weight apply in sitting, standing, walking and running. So it, it translates those that same theme and that same awareness of alignment translates across all those positions or movements. Very good. Okay, so let's say that a person's at work and they say, "You know, I've been sitting in this chair uh and and I really feel like as I, as either as both of us are sitting here leaning both of us to the left, by the way, um I I want to sit better." What are your what are your tips as far as a as a person and and sitting in their office chair and sitting better? Well, again, knowing your alignment that we just alluded to, and then p the positioning of where your chair is in relationship to your desk, in relationship to your keyboard, in relationship to your mouse and monitor and phone or whatever it is you're doing. I would also recommend wearing a headset if you're on the phone a lot because holding a phone with one hand or shoulder to ear is Never a great thing for people that are sitting for prolonged periods of time. Yeah. And, you know, people will oftentimes say, well, I don't want to wear a headset. And we'll say, we're talking, we're talking long term here. I don't want to, I don't wear a headset for, for an afternoon either, but that's not what ends up happening. It ends up being 20 years of holding a phone, you know what I mean? Or longer. And then, and then you got problems and why not wear, why not wear the headset? Um, you know, and the things that we'll see as far as uh, sitting is I'll say, you know, um, first of all, like we talked about, don't breath hold. Right. The second thing is, is when you find yourself leaning, why, why are you leaning? What, what is that showing? And why, and are you always leaning to the same side? You know, uh, how many times do you find yourself, you know, leaning back, right? Where you, you feel like you're not, you're not stable enough through your spine and you need to lean back or lean one side to the other. And I think, and I truly find that I ask my patients to keep track of that. And I'll say, just mark down what time it is every time you notice yourself, you know, leaning one side or the other or leaning back. And then, and then, the, and then they'll get themselves into a correct position and I'll say, oh yeah, stop breath holding, relax again. Right. And that's, that's been the way that I found that people are able to sit longer in a better position. Yeah. And a chair oftentimes is much like a shoe wear pattern. I've seen many chairs where the, the seat is noticeably leaning one side or the other, or it's worn more on one side of the seat than the other um, armrests for the chair. One's really worn, one's barely worn. Th those things, if you have a chair that you've been sitting in for a long time, can tell you a little bit what you're doing, and, and it's the wear pattern of the chair. Very good. Okay, so somebody decides they're getting a stand-up desk, right? And we've all seen this, where people get stand-up desks. And then they sit at it. 
because they're not quite ready for the stand-up desk. So what I tell people is I say, you know, work up to it, right? I'll say, stand at the desk until you're not standing on both feet. You know, when you start leaning or leaning over the desk, it's time to sit down. And then try to increase the amount of time that you're standing, but also don't stand just to stand. I mean, don't be, you know, in a terrible position standing. It's just as bad as it is in a terrible position sitting. So rotate from one to the other. Any advice on that? Actually, I recently read a study on this topic and they studied people that sat only, people that stood only, and people that did a combination of both. And the the summary was all standing or all sitting, either one is not optimal. What what seemed to serve people best as far as fatigue, headaches, tension, muscle ache, all the things that come with prolonged positioning or people that did a mix. They truly mixed the amount of time throughout the day that they were sitting and standing and they were not necessarily doing all or one. Okay. Very good. So with standing desks, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Stay off your heel, you know, midfoot. We don't want you on your heels. Um, you know, when you're standing there, if you find yourself leaning into one leg, that that's really a, a great sign that you need to sit down. Um, when you're there, you need to breathe, right? You need to work really hard depending on your height on making sure that that's at a correct, at a correct height. Anything else with that? Well, again, how you sit is how you stand is how you walk is how you run typically. Mm -hmm. And if you have an imbalance or, um, compensatory things going on in one position, it's probably going to show up in the subsequent positions. So figuring out that range of alignment that's optimal for you and mm -hmm. just implementing that throughout is the best solution. Good. Okay. I heard you, I've heard you talk many times about people riding in a car. Um, and that, you know, some cars just aren't for people there. I mean, usually we'll see people with back pain and boy, they are leaned all the way back and we go, this is a terrible car for a terrible car seat for you. Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, well, I can't raise my seat any higher. Yeah. Well, you, you ought to consider a different mm -hmm. car. So what are your advice on people with, with riding in the car, protecting their back? Car seats are kind of like lazy boy recliners. They're designed to kind of snug you in and make you feel comfortable, but that isn't necessarily the most ideal position to be in oftentimes. And, and I think sometimes people don't know what the ideal position is, but there again, when we, we encourage people to get their hip at or slightly higher than their knee. And that's, that's one thing to do sitting in an office chair or on a stability ball in doing your fitness routine, but it's a whole nother thing to do in the car because most people's knees are significantly higher than their hips sitting in the car. And that's how the car lends itself to design. Some folks have seats that adjust several ways. And if you can raise that, the back of the seat so that your hip and knee are at least level, that's an improvement. Mm -hmm. um, that allows you then to have normal curvature in your spine and weight shift is displaced equally right to left, front to back, even in sitting um, across your thighs and your sit bones and allows your head and neck and upper back to align properly with what's going on at your hips and low back. Yeah. I have, uh, I've set my, uh, or I'll ask my patients too, to set their rear view mirror where it's not able to be seen if they're in a slouched position, right? So I'll ask them to put that mirror in that position. And then I'll say, oh yeah, when you're sitting up again, don't breath hold, right? Breathe. 
The other thing is, is that, is that recently I've started telling people that I don't have, cause there was a time where I hated the lumbar, the, the lumbar pillow. I think that lumbar pillow is a good thing. As long as it's not putting you in a, in a position where you can't breathe. If like it's, a forced, yes. unnatural position. Yes. yes. If it puts you in a position where all of a sudden you can breathe and you can relax and almost relax into it, but still keep an arch in your back. I now think that that's a wonderful thing. Right. And it depends on where it hits you and what your, how God designed your spine and all kinds of things, but it can be a very valuable asset to helping people find that right alignment. And like you said, you know, the, the five foot two person is not going to have the same effect of that lumbar roll in as the six foot three person This may work better for one than the other, but you've got to figure out what works for you based on the car you're driving and how it can adjust. Okay. Uh, what do you, what's your thoughts on bed? Because I, I mean, I've heard two people talk about all kinds of different things. And in my mind, what I really think is that whatever works for you, you know, you'll say, oh, people say, oh, you've got to have a firm bed. Yeah, maybe well, you're young. You know, I really feel like what you need for the bed at, at a young person's age is not as important as a person who already has an injury. I can see that, but I would lean towards firmer versus soft and overstep. Your, your body's like a C is depending on your, I, I would, would say, please don't sleep on your stomach. That is one thing I would say about regarding beds and sleeping. Um, but I would lean towards firmer versus softer. Okay. And when you said your body's like a C, are you saying like an ocean or are you saying like a- Like the letter C. <laughs> <laughs> and just think of what that does to- it actually promotes forward head. Like if the bed's really soft and you're, you've got your head up on this pillow or the, the head in the wrong position, you're right. sleeping all night with a, with a forward head and that can be a whole conversation. So then same thing with pillow. Yeah. For me, I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect pillow for anybody. No, I think you gotta I have, <laughs> I, I would say, I would say pick out a three or four different pillows that are completely different consistency and rotate them around because some days some are going to work perfect for you right. and some are not. I just and, think it depends on the day. And pillows and mattresses, I would say find your least worst option. There you go. <laughs> is is the best answer. There you go. Okay, so then last question. Uh so I ideal long-term consistent workout and you know for me, I think variety is the most important thing. I know I know that when they start talking about elite fitness uh, people who are able to maintain an elite level of fitness live five times longer than the people who are who are not you know not not staying active five or have a five times you know longer um, active lifestyle as far as that goes. I mean, I may be putting this incorrectly, but you know when when you start adding up the numbers, you go, wait a minute, that's that's five times longer. No, they have five times more likely chance of of having a longer active life. Um, but with me, what I've found is, is that people have to find something that they enjoy, right? They really got to find something that they enjoy and finding that thing that you enjoy and can continue to do over the long term is more important than, than anything else. But a variety is, is, uh, optimal. Ideal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We can design the, the best walking program or biking program or Pilates program or what have you for a patient. But if they don't enjoy doing it. Their, their consistency and and enjoyment is not going to be there. So much like you said about variety, I don't remember the statistics, but it's like 
in sports. You want your multi-sport athlete. You don't want them necessarily focusing just on one sport because it's so much repetition of specific movements and lack of repetition in other movements are challenging your body in other ways. So I would say um, moderation, you know, whether it's part of, I think, a little bit of stretching and flexibility, a little bit of cardio and a little bit of strength training is a great mix. If you can find a fitness routine that, that would provide you that, that would be ideal and optimal, not only, you know, runners that run long enough, if they want to keep running, they eventually find their way into a strength training program because running only um, takes it, why it may make their heart and their cardiovascular and their, their lipid profile excellent over time weaknesses in certain areas develop or tightness, what have you. And they need to incorporate flexibility and strength training, right? Your bodybuilder probably has a horror. If they do no cardio probably has, um, or, you know, Olympic weightlifter may not have the best heart and the best blood profile based on triglycerides, lipids, cholesterol, et cetera. So there's what do you, you know, what's your goal is your goal is, is overall health and fitness. I think, think keep moderation in mind. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy it? And can you incorporate a reasonable level of flexibility, strength, and cardio? And that would be optimal. Very good. So, you know, we, we got this done in less than an hour, which I think is really good. As we went through each of these things, I mean, I, there's a lot I wish I knew at that age. I, there's a lot of things that I wish I'd measured at that age. So um, hopefully this has been helpful. I think uh, if hopefully the other thing is, is that this will generate some more questions because each of these things we could go much uh, deeper into, but we chose not to. Um, uh, there was some restraint on Shelly's uh, part as she was like, each one of these could be an hour long podcast all by themselves. <laughs> okay. Let's and just talk like, about shoes and, that's right. and what they can do for you. That's or right. To or you. posture or <laughs> yeah. single leg squat or any of them could have been a much longer one. But uh, we wanted to we wanted to answer these questions from Lucas. So I really appreciate that. And and uh, hope everyone has a uh, wonderful holidays and uh, and a great new year. Thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate your download and taking the time to listen. Please go to whatever source you normally get your podcast from and subscribe. Also, visit bodyguitar.com for show notes and to learn about our clinic. Living longer is not near as important as living better. These episodes are meant to advance the goal of living better. One of the best and hardest ways to achieve this goal is to pray for your enemies and forgive those that hurt you. Life is about relationships. Build them. Until next time, body guitar practitioners, performers, and tuners, get your body in tune. This is Dr. Sean Wheeler on Spine and Body Podcast, and I will see you on the next episode. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare studies, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their health providers for any such condition.